The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to the homicidal sex box edition of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. And if I'm talking about homicidal sex bots, you know what that means. I'm having such like nostalgia right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even deja vu. It means that Kathy O'Neill is back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back, Kathy. Thank you. I couldn't miss this episode. You more or less single-handedly created I this did. episode. <laughs> You're like, I will, it's true. I will, I will, I will grace you with my presence if we can decide if we can discuss homicidal sex bots. Yes, this has to be a focus. We are going to talk about homicidal sex bots because Kathy's here, yeah. and Kathy gets to talk about whatever Kathy wants to Aww, talk about because Kathy's special. But yes, Jordan Weissman is here as well. Hey everyone. And Anna Shemansky is here as well. Hello. And I'm Felix Salmon of Fusion and. Today, we are going to talk about homicidal sex bots. We are going to talk about um, finance bros in Silicon Valley, because mm. if you have tech bros in Silicon Valley, you can have finance bros in Silicon Valley. Um, but I think, first of all, we should really talk about, like, uh, partly because Kathy's here and partly because it's the big news of the week is... Anna, why don't you explain what the fuck just happened to Equifax? So, as I'm sure many of you are well aware, there was a massive data breach at Equifax. Over 140 million people's information, including social security numbers, addresses, driver's license numbers, were hacked. And then on top of that, Equifax has handled the breach quite poorly and pretty much everyone is angry as they could possibly be. So Equifax is like the other yes. like credit rating agency, like credit scoring agency. Yeah. It's 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 like the Fitch yes, rating. Like Fitch, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Fitch ratings of credit scoring. It's the one you always forget. There's like TransUnion and there's Experian and what's the Oh yeah. It's the one which evidently is the easiest to hack. Right. Yeah. And let me just jump in and, and disagree with Felix's phrasing of the question to Anna about this didn't happen to Equifax, right? This happened because Equifax is horrible. <laughs> this is I mean, right? No, Equifax no, I mean, couldn't have done this more badly. Yeah, every was, step of the way. They had a it's come out um I think yesterday actually they reported that the security breach happened because there was a software vulnerability in their like platform um and there was a security update released 2 months before the hack by the vendor. They identified the security problem. They issued an update that should have been installed immediately and all Equifax had to do was update its systems and it just that didn't happen for some reason that people haven't quite identified yet. And I think this isn't surprising because I know when I've talked to cybersecurity experts, they often say that there is no way to make your system unhackable. It just can't happen. So what you do is you want to make your system just better than the next guy's. You just don't want to be the slowest moving gazelle. That's a really good general rule, but it's it, I don't think that quite applies to Equifax because Equifax isn't just some company with some client information. I mean, it's an enormous company with information on all American consumers. They have to go up much higher levels. Right. I mean, like, right. There, there was, there's a handful of companies where the first rule is we have to make sure that we don't get hacked. Like if Sony gets hacked, that's really bad for Sony and it's embarrassing for Angelina Jolie and like life moves on. But – if you're Google, 
you don't get hacked. You know, that's like the worst thing that can happen. If you're Amazon, you don't get hacked. And if you're one of the three big credit scoring agencies with hundreds of millions of social security numbers, you do not get hacked. That is your job. You had one job. And in this case, it's the worst of all possible worlds. It's not just that they were, weren't were a fast enough gazelle. They weren't, It's not even the fact that they were like a moderate fast gazelle. They were the slowest, <laughs> the slowest gazelle. gazelle. Yes. They were just like... Here, go pick me <laughs> <Exactly>. off. <laughs> and I'll, I'll add that like, they have a long history of completely ignoring human beings. I mean, human beings, and we've heard this a bunch of times this week, we are not the customers of Equifax. The, the companies that are buying this credit scores are the, company, uh, the customers. But Equifax, because of regulation, like the Fair Credit Reporting Act, has to interact with humans, <laughs> with and, us. And none of and they've been the terrible. three are good at that. They're all terrible. They're all really bad. Um, you can try and get your credit reports and then you'll find a whole bunch of false information and you can try and fix it. And trying to fix that information, as anyone who's ever tried to do it, is a nightmare. Anytime you, people get, you know, identities... What's it called being the victim identity of identity theft? theft? Like, you know, if, if your identity winds up being stolen from you, which sounds like some weird Borgesian thing, <laughs> um, you know, and you're trying to recover from this, they are generally not helpful. Unless and, you have a lawyer. Right. I mean, it's like it's something that well off people can probably get done, but like the average person probably can't. But now, Kathy, talking about what average people can do. Yeah. Tell us about freezing credit, which is so hot right now. Dude, I I don't know anything about it. As soon as I found (laughs) out that whatever they were offering for, quote unquote, free came with, first of all, automatic sign up after a year. And second of all, you have to sign your way out of arbitration uh, privileges. Like, fuck that. I think they 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 went back on that. Yeah. Or they they made you. They made it opt outable. Yeah. I think that's not the same thing as. Oh, is it opt out? That's what I heard. They, They required. It was like their. It wasn't. Equifax saying you can't sue us. It was a second party saying you can't sue them. It was very strange and nerve-wracking. But also the other thing is that no one knows what to believe because even yeah. Equifax's own PR people don't seem to know what's true and keep on changing their mind on stuff. So I'm going to think about it this way. Not everyone can get their credit frozen, right? Like it's just not something that the bulk of the population is going to do. So I want to think about this and I know this is going to be sound weird as actually kind of a positive event, because I think what it's going to make us do as a public is reevaluate this entire system and think through, like, what are our rights? How can we create a better system so that the, these these companies that maybe maybe we'll stop doing credit reporting as, as it stands? But in any case, the companies have to be much more responsible. Well, so here- I do think companies have to be much more responsible, but I don't think we can just stop doing credit reporting because if people are going to underwrite loans, we can change the need- system. No, I think we could transition. I think you could also add additional regulations to the system and also have, like Europe has talked about, having uniform standards when there is a data breach. Can I can I have like a really easy idea, which people have been talking about for 25, 30 years and never seems to get anywhere, but maybe conceivably this might be the thing which gives it a little bit of momentum, is the fuck is up with social security numbers? Yeah, this is... The I mean, fuck, the fuck. <laughs> well, so it's sort of... Uh, So this is a question that Bloomberg was writing about not too long ago, actually before the Equifax. It was just like, why do we still have these things that it's like this one key to your life? It's the password to your life, to your finances. And it's obviously very vulnerable. And it's just a nine digit number, which every other week, it seems you're asked to hand it over to another person Mm -hmm. in some position of responsibility who will certainly write it down in a way that it will be hacked somewhere. Social security numbers are like God. (laughs) If we didn't believe in them, they would we would invent them or whatever that thing is about God. Like the truth is, 
as a data scientist, I'll tell you what, like there's this whole, there's been, there've been countless movements where we're like, we're not going to be personally identifiable, but we will give everyone a unique ID <laughs> as a consumer and it'll be totally fair and it'll be, it'll be like totally happy. Everybody will be happy with. No, like every time you are an, alg- let me put it this way. If you're a data scientist working on online stuff, you want to recognize people when they come to your website. And the way you do that is you tag them with some kind of uniquely identifiable tag. And then when you have two people that might be the same person, what you want to do is called deduping them, which basically means like instead of two tags, we're going to make one tag. It is a, essentially a social security number system. It's going to happen every time. There's so a, so long there, as it's a private it, system and every It's never private because science. as soon as somebody has a system that works, they sell it. Yeah, and so it's just right. the, something and, and is going to And also the government right, but, but does you, need to have an identifying number for all of its citizens. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But It the, needs to have some type of identifier in some well, So what would it but, replace okay, so, it so my, but I, th- I think the big difference between what Kathy is talking about and social security numbers is that everybody knows their social security number and they can be asked for their social security number and they wind up giving it voluntarily or not so voluntarily to a whole bunch of people. I have no idea like what my unique ID is in DoubleClick and I'm sure that DoubleClick is very sophisticated about identifying me, but I don't feel that it has the same degree of... If someone found that unique ID, I don't think I would be harmed. I'm I'm with you, Felix. Theoretically, there's no reason for us to be giving our social security number to anyone. But I'm just saying there are middlemen companies, and there always will be as far as I know, until we change the actual laws, that your entire job is to connect some other unique identifier with the social security numbers of lots of people and sell that information. Right. And and that's my that's my beef, is that if you take the social security number out of that relational database, and you can have 17 different unique IDs, yeah. which are created by 17 different companies all referring to me and someone's creating a relational database and they say and they managed to do this massive deduping thing and say all these 17 people are Felix like as long as my social security number isn't in there I feel much so that's better. your law I think I like well I like it you're like the law is like you can't have social security numbers in a database yeah I, yeah. Th- I think like kind of the just to simplify what you're or the way I'm understanding is you know Social security, it's fine if companies identify you and sell that ID and whatever, but they can't ask for your social security number because that's what you use to unlock certain essential things. And as long as they can't, as long as your personal passcode to unlock like your bank account can't be out there, it's fine. But but that doesn't work because if you use your social security number to unlock your bank account, then your bank has to have your social security number. Okay, so not So it has to be non-commercial. But this is part of the problem also with a lot of banks and a lot of also, frankly, online lenders that want to lend quickly and cheaply. It's much easier to use social security numbers or driver license or quick numbers in order to verify identity. If we want to switch to some type of different forms of identification, that is going to be more expensive and it's going to take a lot longer, which if we're okay with that, that's fine, but we should be aware of that. Well, so also, don't the banks have to go and verify that like you're a real person with the government. Banks, yes, it's different. When you talk about online lenders, it's a wild west out yeah. there. But okay. Banks, yes. Well, yes, but there's nothing in the KYC laws. Sorry, know your customer laws about <laughs> like you need to collect social security numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, although maybe you do actually. Come to think, you you do need you do need an ITIN. Yeah. Oh, you need you need some kind of official number. I know that. I wasn't allowed to open a bank account in the U.S. until I had a social security number. I was very lucky that I came here before 9-11. It was incredibly easy to get a social security number before 9-11. So, Kathy, I have a question. Um, Back to how we could maybe change the system, because 
I, I'm just kind of sitting here tearing my hair out because there's just like almost... I mean, they're going to sue Equifax, obviously. Like, that's already... Who's they? Can I be part of that? uh, Like, states' attorney generals, I'm pretty sure. Like, that's already rolling. But, I mean, who knows what that will lead to? There's just, like, no death penalty here. There's There's no no accountability whatsoever. There's very... There's not going to be a ton of accountability here. So you have to... You just have to think about this in terms of future legislation and how we could. And I don't really know what I would want to do. Is there, like, a gold standard that you would like to see? I would definitely like to see... um, uh, checks on th- things like security. I would like things people to get shut down if they don't comply. Interesting. I would also okay. like them to to see them have very high standards for interactions with humans. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, we were talking about credit freezes. Like all of their their phone lines are blocked right now. Like because I guess the of the the volume, but you know even when when their phone lines work, they're not particularly helpful. These, are, in other words, there's no accountability to the public whatsoever. So I want to see. And it's not hard to imagine. Just think about like constructing um, in the public interest um, credit uh, credit agencies that actually help you with your credit, help you freeze for, for free, help you make sure that your credit report is correct. Yeah. Um, and they do it in a, in a customer friendly way. And the customer is the is you. And this is what I just proposed. I, I had a little op ed in The Washington Post last week about student loan services. And I was basically saying the same thing about them. Like, If you are in that kind of public facing role position and you're dealing, you have a whole bunch of call centers and who are dealing with like very vulnerable people in many respects, um, you know, you're behind on your loans, you have a bad credit score, all of these kind of things. The government can and should set really high minimum standards for how those call center operators interact and how they behave and how, you know, you're treating the members of the public. Yeah. Um, You know, now you're bringing up just like kind of the idea of auditing their security constantly. And and not just security, but also just like helpfulness. I I agree with that. Listening on other phone lines. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think that's actually kind of interesting because there are some industries where we do treat that as like just kind of de rigueur for like for uh, regulation, like in food. We send people to check chicken plants all the time. Yes. In uh, banking, we have, I mean, for better, you know, they may not do a great job all the time, but we have regulators in the office sitting there, like keeping, you know, making sure things are sort of sort of being working the way they're supposed to. There's why we don't have that for something like Equifax. Actually, I think that's a good question. Why is there? the surveillers. That's yeah. That's my thing. Like, yeah. Just have know, people on give site. Them some of their own medicine. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. So, Kathy. Yeah. How many different things are we going to talk about today? Like seven or something? <laughs> I, I could, lost count, we, honestly. We have, we have three segments in this show, but because we don't have Kathy in very much, um, I we are, we are going to basically lock you in this studio. <laughs> I thought it was because the world is such a shit show. And because the world is such a shit show, um, we're going to lock you in this studio and just extract all manner of Kathy O'Neill awesomeness. And we're going to put this out on Slate Plus as an extra 
So to listen to Kathy O'Neill's amazing extra Slate Plus episode where we talk about L'Oreal and Facebook and Ray Dalio and all manner of sexy things like that, subscribe to Slate Plus at slate.com slash money plus and that episode will come out on Tuesday. Um, Kathy. Yeah. We know about the tech bros in Silicon Valley. Yes. Did you sadly. know there's this weird thing called fintech? It's like a double decker shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, this is why we can't ever allow you to leave the studio. Anna's like quietly seething. <laughs> like I just, I just like at the second the word shit sandwich came out of Kathy's mouth, there was like a glance and then kind of a look away. And, no, and like, no. I will, I will never have Kathy's foul mouth. It's just <laughs> there's like. The fintech veteran. Anyway, sorry. Is All right, so Anna, is 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 fintech a double-decker shit sandwich? And <laughs> and if not, then how do you explain the sofa? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. I do not think that all fintech is. SoFi is. Is, is in fact, quite. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a so horrible I, company. I, I have no idea what happened this so, week. I've been under the covers. I, I know people who want, before all this happened, and we'll get to what this is, wanted SoFi like, banned anyway. So this is only, like no, just on policy grounds. So no. anyway, continue. So essentially, the big story is about, uh, like, surprise, shockingly, another sex scandal where, <laughs> I mean, this had been coming out for a while and kind of drips and drabs. And then it was then revealed that the CEO of the company was actually apparently potentially sending lewd text messages to an executive assistant. Nice. And As, was and was seen like, you know, canoodling with various other women in the office, even after he hired his wife to work like yes. just down the corridor from him. Wow. There there was hand holding, apparently. There was I mean, but this is that sounds and kind of he tame. Was, and he was—is that the canoodling we're talking about? No, no, so was, no, there was also there was also graphic other things like, were being there was, held. <laughs> there, there was also boasting about sexual conquests in like the pub after work. Now, oh, I, also, um, female job applicants—they were t- talking about like their breast size. No, yeah. they weren't. Well, okay, but so oh, also offering women money to lose weight. At the are was, you fucking yeah. kidding yeah. me? Wait, this is no, a no, horrible. But company. The best stuff has been coming from Deal Breaker, which has just been going and looking for you know. An, albeit anonymous sources at the company, but like, but let's believe them. Tell, yeah, tell all. I mean, well, yeah. So we're attributing this to Deal Breaker, but like, the way they are reporting is everybody at SoFi was fucking everybody, like just every single person. There was it was so common for people to go and have sex with each other in the bathroom that at one point a toilet seat cracked in half and they had to replace it. <laughs> um, I mean, it was it was common for like. Bosses and their uh, their their high or their uh, I guess their employees to go like off to the parking lot and have sex in a car and then not long later people would get you know promoted after that. I mean these are the kinds of allegations that are now flying around. What kind of free drinks do they have in their fridge? So I, well they did have free drinks. So I went to their offices once. Oh. I was interested in in what they were doing. I went in there to talk about to talk to them about what they were doing. Oh, should we and, actually describe what SoFi does? Well, I mean, <laughs> so so SoFi to, you know, a first approximation is a lender to rich young people. Yeah. yeah. So what they do is they they, they identify high income Younger people, often graduates of graduates. grand universities like Stanford or Yale or something like that, 
and they're like, you're earning a six-figure salary at the age of 27, so you're probably pretty creditworthy, and so we'll lend you lots of money. Dude, yeah. why, why and, do rich and, people need money? Well, I so here's, here's well, No, 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 it helps refinance their loans. This because the when they thing. took those loans out when they were you know, a 17-year-old, they obviously didn't have the same creditworthiness as now well, they do as a 22-year-old so making parents, more money. their parents didn't pay for college? No, they probably did, but it's just the idea that they're saying, now we can use these other metrics to see that you actually should be paying a lower interest rate, so then you can refinance I, I your loans. I, I it actually goes a little bit beyond that even. It's a little bit of an arbitrage. So federal student lending, everyone gets the same interest rate, no yeah. matter what your credit worthiness, there is no underwriting. I see. And so obviously kids going to Yale or going to business school are paying more in interest than they would be if there was underwriting. So what SoFi realized was, hey, there are all these kids graduating with like Yale Law and you know Stanford business degrees who are paying too much on their loans compared to what they actually are as a credit risk. Let's let them refinance and have them pay like two percent. So this is an arbitrage for federal loans. Exactly. That's, but it, and oh, then that's they, and then they it. moved into things like mortgages and yeah. that kind. Of, and th- and then they started because of course everyone in Silicon Valley is crazy. You know wants to reinvent the world. They basically wanted to become a new bank. They wanted yeah. to create a new kind of deposit Right, account. but the problem, and, and the big problem ultimately, and this is the problem with their funding model and why not only did a lot come out in terms of the sex scandal, but also in terms of their now lax underwriting uh, models in terms of they're giving out mortgages and not having appraisals in the mortgages. It's uh, this, is, this is a really lousy company and part of that is because they are not a bank. Yeah. They do not have deposits. They do not keep their own loans on their books. That is how their model works. Is well, that- I mean, okay, so yes and no. They do have a surprisingly large balance sheet. They have a, a their balance sheet is in the billions, and and they do have an incredibly complicated funding model, which I asked them about in eighteen different ways, and they basically refused to explain it to me because that's their sort of secret source. Giving out loans, the asset side of the balance sheet, like the loans to students, everyone can kind of understand, and they love to talk about that. Yeah. The liability side of the balance sheet, like the way where they get their money from, how much of it is debt, how much of it is equity, how much of it is securitizations, is serious rocket science stuff. And these people did come from Wall Street, and they don't like talking about that side of it. And it's very complicated, and no one really understands it. And I think that what is beginning to come out is that there was a little bit of smoke and mirrors perhaps going on on that side of things. I think there was also just, there were some red flags. Like at one point, they were talking about actually convenient to our topic today, they were talking about how to do mortgages without credit scores and stuff where it was like, oh, we're going to reinvent the future. And it's like this after what we just saw not so long ago is setting off some alarm. Right. And it didn't work. I mean, they said they were doing that. And then it turned out that when they stopped using FICO scores, they had higher default rates, shockingly. And so then they went back to using FICO scores, but they pretended that they weren't. So so you you could argue that the fuck everybody fucking everybody and the broken toilet seats and the misbehavior by the boss was actually reflected uh, perhaps of a uh, broader culture Mm -hmm. of unnecessary and possibly ill-advised risk taking at this company. I'll also add that like when you're in a company that is failing, you you get kind of panicky and weird. Yeah, and this also is no. This is like bonobos having sex. No, no, no. It's not that it's not failing, but this actually is a (laughs) problem. This actually is a problem with the company, though, because there has been less of an appetite for these loans, and their model does not work. If if they can't keep selling these loans, if they can't keep selling the loans and the securities based on these loans to hedge funds and other investors, their model does not work, and that has been a problem because there's been less appetite. That, yes, but I, I think with, that's, there's a gap between there and the company is failing. There, there was never an, indicate, an indication oh, yeah. that the company was failing, but there was a lot of indication that they were like way off to the 
end of the spectrum in terms of like some of the crazy. Yeah. And and as I say, like when I went in there, I, I talked to Mike Cagney, the CEO, and he walks in wearing like I want to say like imagine a thong. A thong. Im- imagine <laughs> Steve Bannon. <laughs> Oh, in a thong. In a thong. <laughs> and we've lost all our listeners. <laughs> okay, we're talking about Mandangalos now. Oh. We've got... um, so wait, is there a lawsuit now? What happened? Is the uh, CEO yeah, there, out? Oh, there are a few lawsuits. So yeah, so yeah. he um, he resigned as chairman. He is going to leave as CEO. Um, and they're in sort of damage control mode right now. I, you know, who knows whether they're going to buy another they're Super Bowl hire ad Travis this year. to clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tra- I, yeah, Travis, I hear there's a job right opening. In. <laughs> right, yeah. Um but yeah, so it, but it's it's interesting that this blew up. I think there are less frat house fintech companies in Silicon Valley, but I kind of think that you don't want to be there. That it that it it's just a bad influence. You know, the whole sort of being around the tech pros is a bad influence on these companies. And I'd much rather stick to the ones based in like Des Moines. Or Oregon. Or, or, like, or yeah. Oregon, yeah, yeah. I think Simple, who was the guest on our show. But They're wait, in Washington, yeah. So I guess this is a question. How do you have tech at this point without the tech pros? Like, is this like, are they inseparable from each other? Is it just like relocating your company to Oregon? Or like, what, what is like, what is the answer here? Well, the answer is you can find like computer engineers anywhere. If you want tech bro computer engineers, then maybe you go to San Francisco. But if right. you just want normal people who might be, <coughs> whisper it, female, you know, you can find them anywhere. I'll just add that like, I have a company that doesn't have any clients, so I can't hire anyone. But I get like twice twice a week, I get emails from people who are like, I'm an engineer. I'm sick of the tech bro culture. I'd love to work for a reasonable place. And so my, my conclusion is that companies that get this horrible culture have done it because they don't mind hiring horrible people. Like well, they, they could put a filter there and they could get some really nice people and they just don't do it. And this is also a... a- clear case of the you know fish stinking from the head where you know the the ceo was the one right. doing a lot of this stuff travis callan set the tone well, that's the other thing like, is that if you're a nice person and you get a job at a place like that you quit yeah, yeah. so it's self-reinforcing this episode of slate money is brought to you by wondery which is a podcast company and it makes a podcast called the best one yet and it is a daily podcast hosted by Nick and Jack, who serve up three of the most interesting business news stories every day and why you need to know them in just 20 minutes. Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that saved Abercrombie or which real tech acquisition is like Game of Thrones or the one financial equation that can finally solve climate change? That's the kind of stuff you find on The Best One Yet. So be in the know this year by starting your morning with The Best One Yet every weekday. Follow The Best One Yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. And for more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts with shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more. Wondery means business. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. Homicidal sex bots. <laughs> I say yes. <laughs> Wait, you're just like in favor? <laughs> yes. I mean, look. What's the question? <laughs> if the answer is 
<laughs> the question yes. is sex robots. And I say yes. Look, my feeling is like, first of all, all the pictures accompanying this article were of a female sex robot. And I take issue with that. Yes. Am I right? Am I right? Yes. Like, and the second point I want to make is I've been saying for a while that I will seriously invest in virtual reality when there are really good sex shows where it's a man who knows how to treat a woman. That's... I mean, come on. Okay, we need to talk okay, about the right. news hook here. Sex robots. <laughs> so, okay, so, Question... the, so wait, the news hook, I'm assuming the news hook is something about the Blade Runner movie coming out? No. I think it's about Not hackable no, sex it's a, robots. Yeah, it's a it's cybersecurity expert. It was, we're actually going to talk about yes, a, 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 a Sun legitimate, article. Yeah, a, a Sun and <laughs> a, Post article. No, but I, I'll, I'll, right, I'll actually re- I'll actually respond to the thing. The story is that you you get a sex robot. It might be hackable. That sex robot might actually be able to kill you. But I think it's along the lines of like <laughs> you get a summer. self-driving car. You might be able the self-driving car might kill you. See, like, this, yep. my feeling is that like I'm not worried about self-driving cars killing me because driving cars, like human driving cars, kill people all the time. People, and I think um, people people die having sex all the time. And men kill their spouses all the time is my point. Like, my point is, like, is the sex robot less homicidal than men? Wait, I, I, okay, I think we still need to go back here for a second, just, like, to clarify it's, a little I bit. I just want to say, you always have to compare against the baseline. Yes. The baseline is men... Yeah, in that sense, you're, the man is much more apt to kill you than your sex robot. I, I would assume... Yeah, even, but it is. But on the other hand, a sex robot is more likely to kill you than, like, a vibrator. For, okay. Right, right. Although, I would also say, like, why is your sex robot, like, Wi-Fi enabled? Like, why is it a smart sex robot? Because that's the only way you okay. can hack it, right? I want to get to that in a second, but I, I just what, That's when if you ask it for cappuccino and it's going to like, how do I make a cappuccino? It's you know not, what I mean? It's, it's going to scald you. Like, wait, no, it's, okay, wait. So I just want to because I feel like there's some listeners who are probably still saying, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like, what happened? Specifically, there's an article in the London Sun. Is it is? It's technically the London Sun. No, or just the Sun. Just the Sun. But we, you know, we, we, don't, we don't we don't divvy up our papers by yeah. city like the Americans R- do. Rupert Murdoch's tabloid, which now, by the way, dispiritingly is also sharing content with the New York Post, which oh, I think that, is that's sort been of going on for years. Has it really? Oh man, the New York Post is better. Is like a little bit more trustworthy than the Sun. But anyway, basically, they ran this article by a c- cybersecurity lecturer named. Dr. Nick Patterson, who said, as sex robots become more popular in the future, if they are Wi-Fi enabled, this opens up opportunities for hacking and people to potentially be grievously injured or killed using whatever internal defense mechanisms they have, quote unquote. Internal defense mechanisms? I don't know what, like, yeah, I mean. Vagina dentata? Yeah, I was about to say (laughs) the dentata is what came to mind from Snow Crash. I don't uh, know what dentata is. Teeth. Yeah, anyway. Um, that makes sense. Sci-fi fans will will know what scene I'm talking about. But um, so I, I read this article and I kind of left, but I think it actually gets to an interesting thing, which is this problem with the Internet of Things that gr- being hacked. And it's like just like all like, you know, there was a great article a while back by I think Brian Feldman from New York Mag who was like, I just bought a sous vide machine and this thing is totally going to be used to like bring down a website in a DDoS attack because that's what hackers do is they use like these poorly protected uh, household items that are Internet connected to, you know, turn them into networks that can then com- attack computers. It's also conceivable that they will just start hacking the objects themselves to do crazy shit like turn your sex robot into the Terminator. Look, I mean, somebody gave me an Amazon Echo and I literally threw it away. I mean, I don't see what am I getting from that? The, you diff- just said you're going to buy a sex different robot. Question. <laughs> what am I getting from a sex robot? <laughs> different answer. It's like okay, good yeah. Wait, hang on. I have one of those. Somebody gave me one as well, and I didn't throw it away. A sex robot or a- the Amazon Echo? Uh, an, an Amazon Echo Dot. And I, 
now live up in the sky in in a sort of sealed apartment with closed windows. And it was a very sunny day this morning. But the thing about sunny days is you don't know if it's a cold sunny day or a hot sunny day just by looking out the window. And so I said, Alexa, what's the weather like? And then Alexa said, it's 72 degrees or something. And that was a very easy way for me to find out whether it was a Felix, cold you know, at your phone. I was, really I was, hard. I woke up this morning and I just couldn't figure out what the weather was like. I was spent like 25 minutes looking on the internet and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what? So is that worth it to you? I, I, I want to come back though to how the, the killer sex robots might actually be a useful story, which is that if, if people really are worried that like they are hacked robot will do something horrible to their genitalia, maybe this is going to encourage the sex robot industry, which could be a real thing, could be lucrative at some point, to really invest in in figuring out cybersecurity, like you know, staunch cybersecurity defenses for their products. And this could be like another- mittens. Like- <laughs> Dental dam. This could be another example where the sex industry is a leader on technology. Okay, so so like I feel like I really need to summon my friend Kashmir Hill in here, who's (laughs) written about this quite a lot. Okay, and who has looked at every single connected sex device that you can imagine, and they are all like horribly insecure. The idea that random sort of sex toy manufacturers trying to find someone in China who's going to be able to build this thing cheaply are going to be at the forefront of cybersecurity. It's <laughs> improbable. Yeah. In, let, me, let me strike a serious tone for one moment and say I would never be one of the first purchasers of anything. <laughs> like you wanted to, I'll take the third or fourth generation yeah. when the kinks have been worked out, number one. And the other thing is like there are really very scary things happening with autonomous weapons, you know, yeah. where they are not only um, – you know, not, I'm not talking about drones, which are like, you know, controlled f- from afar, but like there's new stuff coming out about like weapons that will make their own decisions about who to kill. That stuff is incredibly scary and, and yet is completely trusted. Um, it's a different kind of robot that's killer, but I think that's what we should be really You're worried also, about. Also, we could combine the two and get the fembots from <laughs> Austin Powers. <laughs> so no, what, what I want to ask is something which I've been sort of struggling with for a while that we give up a lot for convenience and you know we the 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 list is almost endless you know we give up audio quality to have like convenient mb3s we give up um a large chunk of our sort of privacy and personal identity as kathy has written at great length for you know a million stupid reasons and with the Internet of Things, we give up our sort of safety in our own homes. So, like the, no one could ever hack my home 20 years ago because there was nothing in my home which was hackable. And now I have eight gazillion things in my home, all of which are hackable, and, they, and people who hack my home could do like nasty things to me. And I open myself up to this willingly because... Why? Because my life is marginally more convenient. And no, you I've, like you like cool gadgets, right? And also I like cool gadgets. Yeah, yeah. I like pressing a button and the blinds <laughs> rise. I think that's fun. But like it's 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 a weird trade off where what you're what we're basically asking people to do is to measure tail risks and to make decisions about whether or not they will do something like you know, have sex with a robot or build 
you know, a smart home or something like that on the basis of like, there's a tail risk here and human beings are just not really capable of making that calculation. I, I, I'm going to uh, add that. Go ahead, Jordan. Oh, I, I was just going to add that I, a lot of it is also really being normalized. And I think that makes it harder to even do, like even think to do the calculation, right? Like at this point, just like a Wi-Fi enabled TV is just, yeah, of course I'm going to buy the Wi-Fi enabled TV. Like that's going to make it so much easier for me just to like run my home entertainment system. Um, and so that's not something anyone's going to think twice about or really consider disabling. Um, and as that becomes the norm, it's just those safety concerns fade further and further from the public consciousness until it actually turns out that people's TVs are being turned into listening devices. I would also <laughs> add that there's there's a long lag. And we've we've been sharing our data on Facebook for 10 years or something, 12 years. I don't know how long Facebook's. We've been sharing our data in a very, very large way for 10 years. It is catching up to us now, but it's not catching up to us in completely obvious ways. An exception being identity theft, which is why people are really reacting very strongly this week to the Equifax breach. It's coming, but but for the most part, it's coming back to us in subtle ways, like we're getting more and more echo chamber on Facebook. You know, we're, we are like losing out on opportunities that we didn't even know about. That stuff I wrote about in my book, like that's pretty subtle. And it's, there's no direct connection with the decision we made 10 years ago in Facebook and the fact that we didn't get a job offer that we didn't even know we were under consideration for yesterday. Um, and that, that long gap and that subtlety is one of the reasons we can't see the dangers we're signing up for. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We need a numbers round. Yeah, we do. Oh, me first. Me of first. course. Because I'm, I'm really worried that you guys are going to have my, the same number. <laughs> I have I have a, my, number and a spare number just in case. No I have a backup to my number. 2.5 million. What's that? That's the amount of money raised by the startup Bodega. Oh! <laughs> uh, every New Yorker Bodega. was so angry at the startup. <laughs> so, so angry. I and, and I'm just like, and go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, so this is, this is the... I, the com- a com- it's a vending machine company. It is it is a company that's going to make big ass vending machines that you can put in buildings hallways that are going to sell basics like everything from pasta to uh, cleaning tampons. supplies to tampons that you would find at your corner store. And of well, course, they have a cat. At, yeah, well, this the is cat the cat is in the logo. Yeah, the logo is a cat. So, so this is the thing. Every corner store in you in New York or LA gets referred to as a bodega for obvious reasons, and so like well, it it's just- not obvious reasons because it's not actually a Spanish word. Like, it's, there's no such thing as a bodega in Spain. Oh, well, I mean, it's, I mean... It's what, just, it's, what is it's, the reason it's called it's bodega? A weird, it's a weird I mean, regional it's, word, which is used mostly in New York. It's a very neighborhood-oriented, small business, usually run by an immigrant, yeah. like, Spanish-speaking. And yeah. it's like a thing we love yeah, about I, New York. And they're not all run by Hispanic people at this point. A lot of them are run Middle by... Eastern. But they're almost all immigrant run i mean it's just as as a rule and so they, these guys pitched their vending machine company which is called bodega and like has a cat as the logo because there's this whole joke about bodega cats which are a real thing it's not like the internet just made it up like those things are like a fucking employee basically but like they pitched it as an effort to disrupt and 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 like make obsolete make bodegas obsolete so it's sort of like 
paving it's like the idea is like you paved over a mangrove swamp and then called your new like florida development mangrove way right like <laughs> this is the startup version of that they like, went into our favorite corner stores looked at the immigrants striving and they said how can i ruin these people's lives <laughs> it was, and so, oh here's an here's and then they 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 did i mean what was fascinating was they did this sort of walk back as was inevitable on their company blog, saying, you know, well, actually, it's not that we want to disrupt the bodegas. We just want to bring the convenience of bodegas to the Midwest, where you don't have bodegas, or to the suburbs, or whatever. And on the one hand, that might conceivably be true. But on the other hand, no one would have been even talking about them if they hadn't been so brainless as to call their thing bodega in the first place. Yeah. Although I think if they had called it that and their initial pitch would just be like, these are going to be bodegas for the Midwest, like that would have been like, okay, this is a little bit lame, but whatever, fine. Like people would, but it was really the aggressive, like we're out to disrupt, like, you know, the the Rivera family's like family business. <laughs> like it's just, no. Yeah. No. Anyway. Anyway, uh, do you have a number? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, so uh, my number is 40. Um, okay. And this is kind of a, a weird number for me, but I thought it was, I saw it in the news today. I thought it was really interesting. That's the number of shades in, of makeup or of foundation in Rihanna's new makeup line. Um, and what's fascinating is just like, it's not often a new makeup line comes out and like just everyone goes fucking crazy on the internet. And obviously part of this is, you know, that it is Rihanna's makeup line, but this, this thing is selling out at Sephora. And it's specifically that nine of the 11 darkest shades are selling out. And women of color are just like, basically getting up and saying hallelujah, because someone is finally catering to very, very dark black women, mm. um, which just the fashion industry has traditionally not done a really shitty job of. And so like, this thing is clearly making money and is a hit just by catering, once again, just catering to a huge audience that was out there that underserved. was just underserved because the industry was overwhelmingly white and fetishizes white beauty. Um, and so... That said, if I was the kind of person to wear foundation, I would totally buy Rihanna's foundation. Yes, I mean, also... I, I'm a complete Rihanna fangirl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll second that on Felix. If I bought foundation, I would go there. Yeah. My number is 860. 860. So that was the number of ice cream flavors at Coromoto, which is this ice cream shop that was in Venezuela. And it was like a very well-known place. You went in Venezuela. It was in like Lonely Planet of Venezuela. You went there. And I mean, they had flavors like octopus and avocado and black bean sorbet, like really crazy things. And sadly, it now is going to have to go out of business. I'm actually shocked it's been able to last as long as it has, seeing as like the ability to get milk and sugar in Venezuela over the past two years. But it mm. had been able to for a while, but now it's just at a point where it, it's not profitable. And I realize that Venezuela has bigger problems than ice cream, but I thought this was sad. And any time the world loses ice cream is a sad day. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'm going to finish with a kind of, you know, that weird sort of like full circle thing, which which pretentious writers do i'm going to finish with one of those killer sex bots Fourteen thousand. um fourteen thousand is my number and it's an equifax number mm. um and it's an argentine equifax number because equifax was not just hacked in the u.s equifax was ridiculously vulnerable everywhere and in argentina they have these things called dni numbers which are basically the equivalent of social security numbers and they had 14,000 people phone up Equifax over the years and complain about, like, you've got stuff in my credit report, which isn't true. And so they had all of their details of their complaints and their social security numbers and their identity and everything. And all of this 
information was stored in plain text on a website on the open internet and the way that you logged into this website was username admin password admin no shit <laughs> again slowest gazelle <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I thought you were going to say password, password. password. <laughs> <laughs> but just as bad. That's pretty bad. Um, so, yes. Um, thank you, Kathy O'Neill, for coming in. My thank pleasure. you for staying around and hanging around for the special Kathy O'Neill Slate Plus I extra can't wait. special it's be thing. Slate.com slash money plus. Thank you to Dan Schrader for producing. Um, do listen to the double x gab fest which is at slate.com slash xx if you want xxx you need to come here for slate money <laughs> for, but just xx you go you go to um the double x gab fest which is hannah rosen noreen malone the um inimitable june thomas who's actually in charge of slate money but um doesn't appear on slate money in the way that she does on Double X Gab Fest, and they come out every other week talking about feminism, gender, sexuality, health, politics, and other yummy things like that. So listen to that. Listen to the Kathy O'Neill special, and we will talk to you next week on Slate Money. Work, 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 work.